Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. I'm going to be joined just a minute by Brian Hoke of MLB.com, talking New York Yankees baseball. We spoke to him early in the week before the start of this Blue Jays series. The Yankees have gotten the ship stabilized a little bit, one, two in a row, start that series. But there's still some issues here. This is not a great baseball team. Brian and I broke them all down in our conversation. We got just a bit. And we are going to also give you the long-awaited summer movie preview with our resident film critic, John Stanko. That is going to come up at the end of the show. But we'll get all started with our opening tip where I got to talk about this Brooklyn Net epic performance out of Kevin Durant right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. I got to talk about the Nets here, and they had an epic night on Tuesday night. And going into the series, tied two-two, things looked bad. You got started to get some good news when it looked like James Harden was going to come back, and he played the game. Of course, things did not go very well early because they found themselves down sixteen at the half. You have Charles Barkley at halftime on TNT saying that the Bucks are going to win the championship, and then Kevin Durant takes over. And boy, Kevin Durant was fantastic. He finishes with the first ever game of 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists in NBA playoff game. Literally just making shot after shot after shot down the stretch. He was phenomenal. The Bucks had no answer for him. And the Nets come back, win this game. And all of a sudden, they're going back to Milwaukee up 3-2 with a chance to close this out. And the momentum is completely swung again in this series. Durant was unstoppable. It was magic watching him work. And, you know, I'm not a Net fan. I'm still annoyed he didn't come to the Knicks, but you got to tip your caps in the man. I say going into this podcast, and I look at AD now saying, boy, I wonder if he can do it coming off the Achilles, carrying that entire team by himself. And he did. James Harden was there. He was distributing, but he could not shoot. He was playing on one leg. Jeff Green had some good buckets. He had a bunch of threes, but the rest of that team, Joe Harrison already be found. Bruce Brown didn't do much. Landry Shaw had a couple of plays, but that was the Kevin Durant show. He played every single minute of that game, and he had to for them to win that game. And the Bucks, my goodness, that may be as devastating a loss as a franchise can have in the playoffs. They were up 16, having survived the momentum of James Harden coming back, even that crowd some energy. They were up. A lot. Their offensive execution second half was very strange. It made a lot of sense. And Giannis Antetokounmpo had a very rough sequence to finish the game as the Nets were closing in on them. There was a four-possession stretch in the last minutes where he's being guarded one-on-one by James Harden, who, again, is playing on one leg. Instead of attacking Harden and driving at him, he settles for a fadeaway jump shot, which makes no sense. He misses. Next time he gets the ball, he's hacked one or two from the line. 
the worst sequence here. The Nets are up to. Bucks coming down the court. He slips in behind the defense, has a chance to get the ball for a wide-open dunk to tie the game. Misses the pass, turns it over. Next session, he's fouled when he has a chance to break away. A smart play by Harden, makes one or two. That's a brutal sequence of plays for Giannis. And this goes to show you the difference between him and Durant. And Kevin Durant is a guy who you can give the ball to in these big moments. He'll go get you buckets. He will score the basketball for you. Giannis cannot do that. Giannis is not the guy who can take somebody one-on-one and beat your best defender, hit the jumper, to win the game for you. He's not that kind of player. He's still special. He's still very good. But there are limits to his game. And he has to evolve as a player. He's going to reach that LeBron, Durant, God tier. Kevin Durant was on a different planet than the rest of us, including Giannis out of the Kumbo. And now this is an interesting spot for the Nets, who have a chance to close this out. Kyrie Irving's still out with the ankle sprain. James Harden's going to be there. There's a lot of pressure on Milwaukee here to avoid elimination. The Nets have momentum, but this series looked like it was over in two different directions, both times. But now, the Nets really got to take care of business here. You do not want to be in Game 7. You definitely do not. Close this out. Give yourself some breathing room ahead of the Eastern Conference Finals. That's my advice to the Nets. We'll see if they take it tonight. Up next, let's go to my conversation with Brian Hoke. Remember, I'm giving this to you guys. This happened on Tuesday afternoon. So this is before the first few games of the Toronto series, and they win two by a run apiece. That's coming up right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. We're talking New York Yankees baseball, and I feel like their fans are having some suffering right now. It's uncharacteristic for them. Join me today, the guy who covers them for MLB.com, Brian Hoke is on the line. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, going into the season, I mean, with World Series expectations for the Yankees, I mean, pressure was really high. How shocking is it to be sitting here mid-June recording before they start the Toronto series that they're 33-32 and 32 in fourth place? Never would I expect it. And I think that, you know, I was in spring training the whole time I watched this team. It didn't even cross my mind that they were going to have trouble scoring runs. I didn't think that that was going to be the issue. I had legitimate questions about the state of their starting rotation behind Garrett Cole. And really, the pitching has been pretty good. Uh, the pitching has not been the issue. They carried them uh, for a, a period of time where they had that hot stretch in May. Um, you know, but this team has just been consistently inconsistent. They have not put enough runs on the board and they're in a very tough division where you mentioned Toronto, but they're chasing Tampa Bay. They're chasing Boston who has been better than I expected. Um, yeah, I, I did not forecast 33 and 32 fourth place, uh, after 65 games. I, I definitely did not see this one coming. Yeah, I have to say, it was it was definitely interesting over the weekend because I saw your question, Aaron Boom, got him very upset when you asked about whether this team was a little bit too accepting of the, of the losing and stuff like that. What do you think about that, Ali's response to your question? You know, now that I've had some time to think about it, I, that's exactly what you want your manager to respond. You don't, I mean, I, I think that's, that was probably the appropriate response, and I think Yankee fans appreciate seeing some fire from their manager because, uh, you know, so many of these Zoom press conferences have just been the same old rigmarole of, uh, you know, we're, we're getting there, we're going to turn the corner, we're, 
we're getting close. I'm seeing some good signs. And it's like, all right, but you've lost 11 out of 15. So, you know, where are these good signs taking you? And I think that, um, you know, it, <laughs> it certainly got me some attention. It went viral. Um, you know, that wasn't my intent with the question. But, um, you know, I, I guess that, uh, look, maybe it's the new Savages in the Box rallying cry. And if so, if the team turns it around and they go to the World Series after this, maybe they'll uh, they'll cut me a playoff share or something. Hey, maybe they can send you a ring if that ends up working out. There you go, right? Yeah. I mean, I have to say, watching this team from afar, and I think the interesting comparison, I don't think it's been made yet, is I feel like there are a lot of comparisons between the Yankees and the Nationals where they have a roster on paper looks very good. They have a couple of players who are top-notch. If you're going to send three guys to the All-Star game, then you have a bunch of names saying, you know what, like, why aren't they performing up to their ability? And this, we see what the Nationals have done this year. They've been pretty bad. Do you think there's a similarity here to what the Yankees have going on, what's going on in Washington? Yeah, I, I think that you can definitely make that parallel. A lot of teams around where, I mean, offense is across the board, and that brings us into the whole discussion about the stuff, and it looks like baseball is going to crack down on that, and I am curious to see if that hit the way you would think. But uh, by and large, the average just not performing like great this year, and I don't know if the hangover effect from the shortened season with the pandemic or – uh, if it is the sticky stuff, I, I think there's probably a lot of things going on, which is why uh, the product, honestly, has been kind of boring. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of walk, strikeout, home run. And, uh, you know, the three true outcomes, uh, I, I don't think that that's the best way for baseball. I like seeing, like seeing guys run around the bases, and hopefully we can get back to more of that. It's like running the bases are profit the Yank. If you know they're not a good fundamental team, I can't remember a team I've seen makes many outs on the bases they do. It really is mind-blowing because the fundamentals are not there. And that, that part of it is why I think I may have asked that question there about a team getting used to losing. Because, look, I covered a lot of Met teams back in the early 2000s that um, you knew the season was over by July. And you started to see that in their body language, kind of the slump shoulders. And I, 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 I don't want to say I'm seeing that with the Yankees right now, but what I'm seeing is a kind of lack of situational awareness and the, the amount of times that I've seen a runner at second with a ball hit in front of him I mean that's a little league play you do not advance on that ball and I've seen Gary Sanchez do it and we saw Ronette Odor do it the Yankees have made 31 outs on the base pass uh, this year they've also hit into the most double plays of any team and um, you know you could say that's a product of having a lot of guys on but that means they've given away about 90-something outs on the base pass this year, and no wonder they're having trouble scoring runs. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't think you can kill them too much for the double plays, but you can kill them for the outs on the base pass, especially when it's just not knowing what the situation calls for. I've seen Clint Frazier overthrow the cutoff man too many times. Um, you know, I, I just see guys airmailing throws and making errors and, um, you know, the physical errors you'll miss, you'll, you'll deal with. If Glaber Torres boots a ground ball, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. It's, it's the making throws that don't need to be made and making outs on the base pass that don't need to be made that really drive you crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan myself. I feel like if Keith Hernandez is on the Yankee Park, he might have had a stroke by this point. <laughs> I remember uh, certain days, one of these Mets teams I'm talking about where Keith kind of was a little too open and honest on SNY, and he actually had to go down in the clubhouse at Chase Stadium and apologize to the players because he was ripping them on the air. And I remember, um, 
Mike Piazza said something like voices from the grave, man, like about Keith Hernandez uh, criticizing the Mets. But he was right. He was dead on and he shouldn't have had to apologize because that Mets team was fundamentally not sound. And, um, you know, I, I think that that more than anything falls on Aaron Boone and the coaching staff in not having these guys uh, mentally prepared to play these games. Yeah, I think that's something worth watching here because I know this Yankee team, the thing that also surprised me that, as you said, for the most part, it seems to be a lot of coming rhetoric prior to your question over the weekend. was a lot of like, oh, we're going to be fine, small sample size, like just back to the baseball car, guys are turning things around. Like, are you surprised in general by the sort of lack of urgency from the front office in particular to try and like shake things up a little bit? Kind of, yeah. I, I mean, they've made a couple of smaller moves here. You bring in a guy like Odor and I, I think that if I'm Brian Cashman, I need to go trade for a center fielder. If you're serious about making a run toward the postseason, you cannot be running Brett Gardner out there for 130, 140 games. That was not the idea in bringing him back. He was supposed to be a fourth or fifth outfielder, a guy who would come in off the bench and play some defense and pinch run and, you know, get a starter to a week. And, um, you know, he's 37 going on 38. It's just not fair side of Guardy at this point. And uh, this rotating, revolving door of Gardner and Aaron Judge in center field and Tyler Wade, I mean, it's a Band-Aid solution, and they need to figure out something there because they've gotten almost no production from center field. They've gotten very little from first base. Now, Luke Boyd is coming back. Maybe if he's the guy who was the major league home run leader last year, uh, maybe that would that would certainly help the offense. But and. So trade for a center fielder, and I think that, you know, you were counting on Luis Severino coming back, but now that it looks like it's going to be longer than you thought, uh, I think they have to trade for a starting pitcher too because nobody knows when Corey Kluber's coming back. That is very foggy as well. And uh, the rest of the rotation behind Derek Cole and Domingo Herman has been very shaky. The thing I don't understand also, I know the center field thing is a big problem, is like, Esteban Floreal down in the Myers. I mean, he sits the kind of profile of the player they need, where he plays good defense, he has some speed. I get that they don't want to rush him into the big leagues, but, I mean, back in 2005, nobody thought Robinson Cano was ready for the big leagues. He can't make a big impact. And you can make the argument that bringing Floreal up right now would would help the defense, give them a little speed, give them a little life, shake things up a little bit. Do you, do you have any suspicions why they're not going that direction? I, I think it's just the underperformance that he's had at triple a um you know i'm looking it up right now and he's hitting 171 at triple a so he has he really hasn't performed that well i you know you draw the comparison with cano he was tearing it up down there and um so yeah he was ahead of schedule and they have brought florial up at times but i i think that they just don't think he's capable of handling this offensively on an everyday basis so I, I'm not opposed to bringing him up and giving him a shot to see if you can catch lightning in a bottle there, but I think that uh, the performance that he's shown in the minor leagues thus far shows that he's not ready. So uh, if they thought he was ready, I think he'd be here already. Yeah, it's a fair point. I also think the pitching is worth watching, especially the sticky stuff situation Warren hanging around Garrett Cole. That's going to be a distraction they really don't need right now, especially in the light of that SI report that came out about how he's sending text messages to that former uh employee of the Angels getting these substances. So I know the Yankees didn't pay $324 million for Garrett Cole to have, like, be sort of go back to what he had for the Pirates. I think it's a little overblown at the same time. He's got to be sitting there wondering, like, how much of this is impacting what he did for Houston? Yeah, I, I, I will never know. Uh, I mean, we'll never know. But what we do know is that magically his spin rate did increase a lot going from Pittsburgh to Houston. And he was, he did become one of the best pitchers in the game. And I think that 
sticky stuff or no sticky stuff, he is one of the best pitchers in the game. But I think that it probably took him to an otherworldly level uh, where he was, you know, in the Cy Young conversation. And um, I, I am curious to see how he handles this. He answered it pretty well after with his actions. He did not answer it well in the Zoom room, but he did when he went on the mound and he did shove for, for an outing there. Um, he needs to continue to do that. And, you know, I think that if you see a massive performance drop-off, then that's going to be a smoking gun to a lot of people. So, um, you know, Garrett Cole just needs to continue to go out and pitch the way he has been. Um, you know, he started the year, he was on fire. Um, he's setting strikeout records for in franchise history. And I was thinking, you know, Ron Guidry's 18 strikeout game is not going to last a year. Um, so maybe that, maybe Guidry is safe now. And uh, he can uh, he can rest easy there. That that 18 strikeout game will go. But I think that Garrett Cole is the kind of guy that no matter what, every time he's on the mound, you, you think there's a chance he might throw a no hitter that day. Yeah, I mean he's the least of their problem because the rest of that rotation. I mean, going into the season, I said this sort of reminded you the 2020 Met rotation where it had like one sure thing and a bunch of question marks it, that fell apart in the Mets and the Yankees. I mean, Cole's in great for the most part. Kluber was good before he got hurt, but then you have Jameson Tyone and Domingo Herman been inconsistent. Jordan Montgomery is what he is. I mean, is there a worry if you're a Yankee fan that the pitching is that's been carrying that for two months is going to start sort of collapsing a little bit? Well, that, that I think would be my concern is that the starting pitching has carried them for a period of time, and if that is going to fall off, Tyone has been inconsistent. Herman has actually been one of their better starters. Montgomery's been up and down. But if these guys take a start to fall off a little bit, and by, by the way, none of us know how pitchers, especially starting pitchers, are going to deal with the fact that they didn't throw a complete season last year. Nobody made 32 starts last year because you couldn't. And so I, I do expect that there will be some kind of second-half fatigue or fall-off in these guys. And when that starts to happen, that domino effect across the league, I, I think you're going to have to lean on your bullpen a lot heavier. And look, the Yankees have one of the American League's stronger bullpens. It got a little stronger with bringing Zach Britton back, but um, I, you've seen it as much as anybody. When you tax these bullpens day after day after day, uh, the performance starts to go down. And so I, I think that it could be a domino effect, not just with the Yankees, but with teams around the majors where their starters are going to get a little tired here. Um, you know, the Yankees aren't count- weren't counting on 200 innings from anyone except maybe Cole, and that was a pretty maybe. Um, so you're going to have to be filtering guys in and out there, making spot starters, and I think that uh, run production could go up in the second half just based upon that alone. Yeah, one of the keys to the run production is John Carl Stanton. The Yankee fans, you know, he's sort of become a punching bag for them because he's always hurt, and he had this stretch when he came off the injury, so he sat in three of six games. It was a bit frustrating. I feel like for the Yankees, like a lot of their current situation, I think, comes down to the fact that they got Stanton – they gave him. They took on the contract, and it's sort of whether they want to be or not. Hamstrung them making other moves that could help the team in other places. Like, what do you think they will get out of Stan the rest of this year? Because I feel like he's got to be a big factor that they're going to turn this around. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you just hope that you don't play in any more National League ballparks. For example, um, you know he was starting to heat it up a little bit. He was swinging the bat uh, good, and during the Minnesota series, he had three homers in the last two games, and then they went to Philadelphia, and because they don't trust his body to play the outfield. He was limited to just pinch hitting duty for two games. And so they, they'll get him back in the lineup tonight. Uh, he can play in the Salem field series up in Buffalo. But I, I think that you're, you're really not counting on him to play 
much in the field at all. I know that Boone said it's something they'll revisit, but I, I think that his best way of contributing to this Yankee team is to just, you know, be the guy who hits a homer every night and uh, to be that DH, be that dangerous presence in the lineup because when, you know, he really is one of the most, uh, you know, Boone called him a unicorn and he's right. He's just different than any other player. Um, he's got this weird swing where it looks like he's not swinging at all with his lower half. It's all arms, it looks like. You would definitely not teach a swing to a little leaguer. But when he barrels it up, he goes 500 feet, and it's just remarkable. He's, he's, he's a, a, an incredible athlete. The question has been keeping him on the field, and we know that the performance is there. I, you know, We saw him win the MVP when he was with Miami. Um, it, it's just can you get him in that lineup for 400, 500 at-bats, and that's what they have to do. They have to cross their fingers and pray that you can keep Stanton and Judge, those two big guys, healthy in the lineup uh, as often as possible. And uh, there was a great stat about a week ago where uh, in games where Judge and Stanton both homer, the Yankees are undefeated. They're 10-0, including the postseason. So that's the formula right there. Get Judge and Stanton to hit home runs in the same game, and the Yankees will win a lot of games. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And the one thing I'm keeping track of with them is obviously they're in a spot where they really need to turn around soon. And Yale, there's only five playoff bursts here, not eight. So there's not like a safety cushion for them to sort of fall out and just get in anyway. So part of me wonders right. that like if this team is not picking up and they're sitting there in late July, they're struggling, they're a decent amount back of the wild card spot. Do you think there's any scenario where this team could sell? Because I was look at the roster. I don't know how much they could actually could sell. There's not a lot there that would be really attractive to other teams. No, yeah, I, I think that you could see possibly a situation kind of like what the Yankees went through in, it was uh, 2015, I believe, or 2016, where it was kind of a half-in, half-out rebuild, and that was how they wound up getting uh, Glaber Torres from the Cubs by, by trading a role to Chapman. And so, um, you know, they, they were kind of unloading some of those older pieces, you know, the Carlos Beltrons and um, – <clears throat> trying to uh, to rebuild on the fly without actually saying they were rebuilding. And so uh, I, I could see that potentially happening, but I, as far as a full-scale teardown of everything, um, no, I, I, I doubt that the Yankees could do that because, you know, bottom line, the team needs to continue to sell tickets. we got fans back in the ballpark now. Um, they're about to be full capacity again. And, uh, look, after a year of playing in empty ballparks, the Yankees don't want to be drawing 12,000 people in September. So uh, they, they, need to, they need to have a competitive product on the field. And, really, it's incumbent on the guys on this roster to turn it around because, yeah, I, like, like we said, Cashman could probably trade for one or two pieces. You can get a starting pitcher or a center fielder, but you can't trade the entire team. And so it's going to take all these guys, the DJ LeMayhews, the Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez, Judd, Stanton, they're going to have to play the way we expected them to play back in spring training, or otherwise this team's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, obviously. I feel like the question, the other, the follow-up obviously would be, like, if this group, which has sort of plateaued after 17, or they made to the ALCS, they had the surprise run, they have not gone farther since then. And if this group ends up missing the playoffs entirely, like, how high are the seats for Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman? Yeah, I've been asked that a lot. And I, you know, people keep asking me if Boone is on the hot seat. And I keep saying he's on a warm seat um, because, I, look, Cashman has never fired a manager or a coach in season during his tenure, which goes all the way back to 1998. Now, the Yankees have had a lot of winning seasons uh, during that time period. So there was no reason that they were going to fire a manager in season. But uh, it's just not something the Yankees have done. And I don't think that 
Hal Steinbrenner wants to pay Aaron Boone while he brings in, say, Buck Showalter to manage the rest of the season. So I, I do think that Boone is going to get a chance to pull out of this tailspin. And uh, the, the trick here is that Boone's contract is up after this year. And that's the tricky part because, look, Boone came in, he won 100 games back-to-back years, got the team to the playoffs his first couple of years. The pandemic year, I think you can throw that out the window in a lot of fashion here. But this is a team, 2021, that was supposed to go to the playoffs, win the World Series. And if they fall well short of that and don't even get there, then I think that seat becomes pretty pretty hot considering, look at the way the last two Yankee managers were dismissed. It was not a firing. It was Joe Torre was let go in his, when his contract was fired. And Joe Girardi, same story. Could it be the same story for Aaron Boone? We're going to find out. Yeah, we are going to find out. My last question is obviously... This group as a whole, they've underachieved. I mean, go, if you want to include the record from the pandemic year to that, over their last hundreds or 120-something games, they are 66 and 59, which is not very encouraging for overall, but, like, there's still a lot of baseball left. Do you think this group has a turnaround in it? Can they right the ship here and make that run to the playoffs? We all expect them to. I, I think they can. I don't know if they will. Uh, I, I think that the talent in that team is the reason why we were all picking them to uh, to win this division. Now, I think they've dug themselves a huge hole here. I don't know if they can catch Tampa Bay. Um, you know, maybe Boston comes back down to earth a little bit here. Toronto, I, I don't think they're ready yet. Um, you know, but they are a big pain in the neck for this Yankee team. They're so much younger and athletic than uh, than the Yankees. They play a different brand of baseball, and I expected that to continue this week here. So the Yankees really do have their work cut out for them. They have just spun their wheels for the first 65 games of the year. They've almost gotten nowhere. And, you know, this team really needs to get on one of those hot streaks where they're winning 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 15 or something like that to, to make up some ground here because uh, – you know, otherwise, if they just keep treading water and playing 500, there's no chance. And, you know, uh, Brett Gardner was saying it the other day, and I think he put it pretty well, was that, uh, look, it, it is just the middle of June and there's a lot of season left, but every day that passes without a win is a missed opportunity. And that's how they need to look at it here in that, yeah, you got a lot of time left, but you got to make up some ground. Uh, otherwise, that clock is going to run out pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. We'll see how they go the rest of the way. Brian, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow social media keep up with your coverage for of the Yankees for MLB.com? Sure. It's, uh, yeah, I think, you know, follow me on Twitter at Brian Hoke, B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-C-H. On Instagram, same same uh, handle there. And uh, my new book, The Bronx Zoom, is out now. Uh, that covers the 2020 pandemic season and uh, the most bizarre season in Yankees baseball, uh, Yankees history. So, that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'll definitely check that out, Brian. Thanks all the time. I appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thank you. Take care. All right, we are back here talking summer movies like a tradition on this podcast. Not going to do it last year with COVID, but I'm glad to bring back in our resident film critic, a very busy man these days, the great John Stanko is back with us. John, how are you? Mike, appreciate you having me. Very glad to be here. Yes, very busy man, but uh, happy to take the time to talk some summer movies because movie theaters are opening back up. Life's getting back to normal, and uh, hopefully the movie schedule is as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I have not gone back to a theater yet. I have a Target movie in mind I'm going to go see, but I understand you've gone back. What was that like for you? I did. I went to go see uh, The Wrath of Man, the new Guy Ritchie movie. I went to go see it with my girlfriend. I was surprised that she wanted to see the movie because it's not one that you would typically assume. But we went to go see it. Mike, it was magical. Uh, I was emotional. I literally jogged into the theater out of happiness. I bought way too many snacks. I finished them all before the movie started. Um, the movie itself was not not great. It wasn't terrible. It got better near the end. But uh, yeah, there was a classic anxiety of the screen wasn't properly focused to start, but then it fixed itself. We had one guy pull out his cell phone and I gave him the evil glare. He couldn't see me giving him the glare, but I gave him the glare. But it was great. It was wonderful to be back. Um, I plan on going this weekend to see one, maybe two movies um, to try and get back in the flow of things. But I found out there's a movie theater that's a mile and a half away from my new place, which is even more exciting. So things are looking up. I'm very excited to get back in the groove. And it was very happy to get back to my happy place. Yeah, it's definitely your happy place. My happy place will be when I get back to City Field. It's going to be the next couple of weeks. So that'll be exciting. Well, my number one happy place is Fenway Park. And I'm going to Fenway Park in July for Red Sox Yankees. So I... I, my girlfriend does not know what, what's in store when she oh, sees me no. step in front of Fenway Park. <laughs> Especially for Red Sox-Yankees. Oh, yeah, for Red Sox-Yankees, too. I mean, right now right now, both teams are scuffling a little bit. The Yankees just stink right now. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, we'll see. Very excited for it. But movie theaters being back, I'm very, very happy to see it. I think there's one movie in particular that's going to really, like, kick off the theaters officially being reopened. But it, it's just great to kind of get back to some, back to some normalcy. It absolutely is. A little inside baseball. We were originally going to do this around more than the unofficial kickoff of summer, but we are in time now basically for the real star of summer, which is only costs us about two movies and actually being out, but we'll still talk, we'll talk about them. Yes, for sure. Yeah, before we dive into the movies, though, we did talk last time we were on about doing the Knives Out 2 casting special. Unfortunately, we were a little late to the ball on that, but the cast is mostly filled in at this point. I mean, I'm looking online here. A bunch of sources have like the cast list up here for this movie, which is going to be on Netflix in the next couple of years. I mean... Obviously, Daniel Craig is bad. And you got some interesting names in here. I mean, you have Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn from WandaVision, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Madeline Klein, and the newest addition, Jessica Henwick. So what do you think about this ca- group of characters we got here? One, I think Ryan Johnson just has to be super happy that he has created a, a movie that I think actors and actresses are calling him to be in. He could literally pick up the phone and just be like, hey, you want to be in this movie? And they're going to say yes, because that first movie was so fun for everyone involved and everyone had a chance to shine in it. Right. So that's my first thought with this cast is he could pick from the litter of what he wanted. And looking at this cast, it's diverse. I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited to see Leslie Odom and uh, Janelle Monae and going to be in a blockbuster movie that millions and millions of people are going to see. Very excited for that. Um, I think Edward Norton is going to fit in great into whatever role he's in. And you mentioned Catherine Hahn. She is one of the more underrated funny people in Hollywood. She just always plays bit characters in movies that are absolutely hilarious. So, and I'm very excited to see what this is going to be. I, I have all the faith in Ryan Johnson knives out, which is such a big hit. And it, I think surpassed any expectations anyone had. So this cast incredibly excited for what it could be. Yeah, I'm excited for Catherine Hahn. She's having a moment this year because obviously she had the big breakout in WandaVision where she really got to the mainstream and now it's getting her in this movie. It's exciting to see what they do with her. 
Yeah, for sure. I have not seen WandaVision yet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm slow on the Marvel uptake, but I mean, she, I, I remember her most from Step Brothers yeah. because she was the crazy wife in Step Brothers. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time I was really introduced to her, but she's been in an absolute, she's been in a, in a ton of stuff as big characters. Uh, she was in the secret life of Walter Mitty. She was in a bunch of stuff that she's just immediately recognizable. I think she was in bad moms as well, which was actually a very, very funny comedy. So very excited for what she's going to bring. I think there's a ton of depth. Um, we haven't really seen Jessica Henwick in a comedic role before, to my knowledge. Um, so this will be something different for her. And we know that Dave Bautista, who's also in this movie, is just on a rocket ship in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, every single WWE wrestler is trying to emulate the career of Dave Bautista and The Rock at this point. So, And Bautista is now just flying higher, getting in this cast. Yeah, I mean, Jessica Henwick, the last I heard of her was back when she was doing Colleen Wing and Iron Fist. So it's a big change of pace for her to be in this movie. It is, but she she was in a pair of movies, I think it was last year, that were well-reviewed, uh, On the Rocks and Love and Monsters. I saw Love and Monsters, and it was a very enjoyable action-adventure kind of family movie, and it was good, and she was good in it. Uh, so I think she is getting into more and more stuff just away from that Iron Fist uh, reputation, if you will. Uh, but this is going to be the first time I'm seeing her in something comedic. So I'm excited for it. it it's great. Uh, and also, Kate Hudson's in this movie. Uh, I was looking at Kate Hudson's IMDb. She's not been in a ton of really good movies lately. So I this, that was a strange pull I didn't really expect to see. Uh, but hopefully she can have a resurrection like Kate Winslet had with the mayor of Easttown. So uh, that one surprised me as well. Yeah, let's get some of these movies that are coming out this summer. I mean, I went down the list. I pulled some together here. Got a list of about eight movies we're going to go through. Plus, any, we're going to give you your chance to have your own list of picks that you're going to fill in the blanks on. Because obviously, you know, I tend to go more mainstream. You tend to find those under-the-radar gems you're excited about. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, unfortunately, there's not as many underrated gems this summer because summer is blockbuster season, but I got a couple up my sleeve. All right. Let's start with a couple of ones that are already out, starting with A Quiet Place Part 2, which I which has had a very interesting fate here because the world premiere of that movie actually came back in March of 2020 before this started. I think it was supposed to come out a couple of weeks later. The world premiere got shut down, came out around Memorial Day weekend, and then we had basically, it's out, it's doing well at the box office, it's going to be on Paramount Plus in 45 days after release, right where I'm going to check it out. Are you excited about this one? Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, this is the one that I'm going to see on Sunday. This is confirmed. Uh, I have not been able to see it yet just with my work schedule, but I've heard only good things about it. People are saying it's on par with the first one. I haven't heard anyone say it's better than the first one. Um, but the thing is, it, they're expanding this universe, I think, in hopefully a small, concentrated way, but just kind of expanding the scope of what happened with with the world and why it is the way it is in in this movie universe so um i'm very very excited for it our, our friend steve colzo saw it and he enjoyed it um and he's not even a big thriller or horror movie fan and he was still able to enjoy it so I, again high expectations for this movie i'm really curious if it's going to be an emily blunt movie um or if it's going to center more around the kids i'm really curious the scope of or who's going to be the central character of it now that john krasinski is is his character's dead uh, and he was kind of the main focal point of the first one. So that's where I'm most curious about where this movie leans. Yeah, I, same boat as you for me personally. Where like I've been so busy with stuff that I'm not able to get to the theater seat. But I also have a Paramount Plus guy. So like at this point, I'm getting close enough to the 45-day window where I might just wait out and get it on Paramount Plus. That's my strategy with this one. Yeah, I don't, I don't have Paramount Plus. I have not bitten into that Apple. I'm trying to be smart with my finances and not have every single streaming platform. But, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. 
Another one that came out early, Cruella, which the live-action live version of that mo of the story of Cruella DeVille from the 101 Dalmatians, played by, I believe by Emma Stone, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's got the Disney Plus actress and it's in theaters. I've not seen much about it. What have you heard? Uh, only good things about it. The only negative thing I heard is that maybe it's slightly too long, as in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes too long. But everyone I've heard says Emma Stone is awesome in the role. Um, and it, it, it's incredibly well reviewed for being a origin movie for something for a character that not many people know or care about that deeply. I would think 101 Dalmatians for me is a middle tier Disney animation movie is nowhere near the top, but it does seem like Emma Stone kind of raises this movie and, and makes it something that is better than it has any right to be. Um, the fact that it's the number two rated movie on IMDb in terms of popularity and people searching it and looking for information about it tells you something about it. Um, so, and also I secretly in this movie excited for what Emma Thompson could do. Cause I think she's an underrated actress and her working alongside Emma Stone. I think that the one thing about this movie I know for sure is it will be nominated for best costume design and possibly makeup because every single trailer and preview and clip I've seen features a ridiculous outfit. So wouldn't be surprised to see this one uh, get Oscar nominated for that in the best costume category. Yeah, that's the one I'm going to definitely check out when it's free on Disney Plus. That's because that one I also yeah. have. So like I'm I not. Can't, I can't pay the thirty bucks to go and to watch it on Disney Plus. I might wait for. I might wait for it to be free as well. Yeah, it's like whatever it is, forty five days, couple months. Like I'll see it. I'm not in a hurry to see it. That's my personal opinion. Random question: Have you ever seen the live action Cinderella? I think I've seen parts. I've never seen the whole thing. With Richard Madden and, and Lily James, uh, I watched it last week. Yep. It is delightful. Yep. It is probably it one A one B between best live action remake between that and Beauty and the Beast. But it's not fair to have the beauty of Richard Madden and Lily James on the same screen together. It's just not fair. Yep. Like I mean, it's literally Disney princess and princesses come to life. So, uh, but I would definitely check that one out. Though it's not on Disney Plus, which is the weird thing. Yep. Cinderella, the live action, is not on Disney Plus. Yeah, you got to think it's like a rights issue or something with that. It's probably it's got to be, yeah. got to be. Well, flabbergasted when we were looking for it and it wasn't there. Yeah, where is it? Do you know? I uh, Luckily, my girlfriend owned it on Amazon. Otherwise, you have to rent it on Amazon. It is not streaming anywhere to my knowledge. Yeah, it's I a, could not find it in my, in the streaming services that I have. It's, a, it's one of those movies where you should be somewhere, but it's in that weird hole where the rights we negotiate. Like, like Spider-Verse in that spot right now where it should be on something, but it's not anywhere. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Speaking of, and another movie came out just last week and has got a lot of headlines, both positive and negative, into the heights. I mean, this one I fell on the radar for me. I got in bigger views. I've seen Lin Manuel Moranz had to go on and admitted that he screwed up some casting of this and it's not appropriate, racially diverse for the communities representing. What do you think about Into the Heights? How have you heard? I'm going to be honest. I have not heard, I did not hear any of that criticism, which is interesting. Um, maybe I just haven't been as plugged in as you, but I, I did not hear any of the criticism. Um, the only thing I've heard with this movie is that it's incredibly long. And if you don't like the musical type of thing that Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda does, then you're not going to truly enjoy this movie. Um, but I, I'm curious where I, so the the diversity in the casting, Lin Manuel Miranda admitted that it's not as diverse as it should be. I haven't heard any of this. Yeah, it says that basically the issue is the colorism issue, and Lin Manuel Moran's gotten heat because this is basically based on like a Latin American neighborhood, and he's criticized featuring dark skinned Afro Latinos in the background and dancing, not as main characters, which they should be based on the background of the movie. Interesting. Okay. Because I know this movie is kind of based off his life a little bit, like where he grew up and people 
who were in his life and, and how they impacted him and creating a story out of that. So uh, I'm curious to see, curious to hear about that controversy, though I'm still very excited to see this movie. I plan on seeing it. It's one that my girlfriend wants to watch with me, so we need to find the time to do it. But I'm very, very excited to see this movie. And I want to see it in theaters because I feel like you'd be sucked into the world more. Um, but again, I haven't heard anything bad about it. And I, it's got like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone loves it. So I'm very curious to see that. Um, very curious to hear that. Yeah, but that just makes me more intrigued to see the movie kind of with that lens and yeah. see if I believe it's true or not. Yeah, he he believes it's true apparently because he has apologized for not including enough actors in of like darker skin in the main roles. And I think also it's interesting because he's a guy who he's only the Oscar away from the EGOT. So like this is the movie you think he had a good shot at it for. So interesting to see if that if this controversy impacts that chance those chances for him. I I, I don't think the controversy. It's still very very early unless it gets unless it gets drummed up for next Oscar season. But the fact it's still coming out this early, I don't know. I think he's going to eventually get the EGOT. I don't know if it's going to be for this movie just because I haven't seen it, but I think that's going to eventually happen. Yeah, and I feel like he's got to be the next one on the list to get the EGOT. Probably. Yeah. That's an elite That's elite company. Yeah, and HBO Max is also, that's where it's streaming right now if you do not want to go to the theater for it, but you said you're planning to get to a theater for that. I'm going to try and get to a theater for it. However, if if I can't get to the theater within the next two weeks, it's going to be an eventual watch uh, watch somewhere. I'm on my flight to Florida for yeah. vacation, maybe, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And the next one I'm going to get to, I think this is probably the one you have circled as the movie it's going to get the box office really revved up again. That's Fast 9. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Fast 9 is going to be the unofficial reopening of of cinema, of the movie theaters. Um, I, these movies are so popular, Mike, and I don't understand. I don't totally understand why. Uh, they are entertaining vessels but in terms of movies i don't think they're that high of quality um the, the majority of them i should say but i mean this movie is going to be a romp it's going to be absolutely insane um you got justin lynn returning to direct you got the whole entire cast coming back with the addition of john cena it's like i mean everything about this movie is built for blockbuster and built for billions of dollars will it be able to get that high with the still covid ramifications about partially opening theaters and stuff not entirely sure but this movie is going to be the the curtains opening up for movies for movie theaters to finally get back on the same track that they were on before COVID. Are you a big Fast Furious guy? You, this one that you have, you want to see? I, I'm not a big Fast and Furious guy. I enjoy the movies. I think a lot of them are good. They're not great. Fast Five was good. Fast Seven was good. I actually stand for Tokyo Drift. I think that's better than Fast the Fast and Furious Two or Fast Four. Um, it's there's something about the the idea of suspension of disbelief, right? And and just sucking yourself into a movie. And but sometimes you they just go too overboard or whatever. And the idea of family and familia, they just pound it on the head and on the nail every time they're just, they're just hammering you with that theme. And it's just like they gotta do something different. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's going to space. Um, I don't <laughs> think the addition of Charlize Theron, uh benefited this franchise at all i think she was in the last movie or whatever but like this movie's about family john cena is is freaking vin diesel's brother is is toretto's brother and we never knew about him before and this is the ninth movie that's crazy it's a movie about yeah. family but john cena is just being introduced it's just it, it's in its own world it's gonna make possibly billions of dollars i can't like i can't wrap my head around it why people enjoy it so much will i see it eventually yes but i'm not going to be jumping out of my window to see it 
Yeah, I think it's going to be – when you factor into China also because it's huge over there. The fast yeah, movies. Yeah. I get it. It's just huge, and there's so many recognizable people in this movie, and, and I get it. It's probably a movie that's a lot of fun to make, but it's – I I don't know. Like I, I don't find Vin Diesel that great as Dominic Toretto. I'm sorry. He's not the most interesting character, yet he's the focal point for the familiar part. So it's like whenever he's on the screen, I'm kind of bored. I'm more interested by the side characters like Roman played by Tyrese Gibson or – or uh, Ludacris playing his character. I don't remember what it is, but like they're funny. Like yeah. when, it's when those side big characters get more involved where I get intrigued. It's when the main plot lines happens where I'm kind of like, I'm like, all right, let's go talk about family. Somebody's in danger. Oh, somebody lost the memory, but now we got to get it back because familia, we can never give up hope. So I don't know. Like I I now work at a place where it's the biggest Fast and the Furious fan I know in John Feidelberg. And if I think if I said this to him, he would absolutely hate me for it. But I'm going to see the movies event. I'm going to see the movie eventually, but it's just, I'm not excited for it. Yeah, so that's Fast Nine. The other big one, for the first time in over almost two years, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. We've had three shows now. We have not had a movie yet. Black Widow is finally coming out. I know you have MCU fatigue, but how do you think this is going to do? I, I mean, I think it's going to do great. Uh, now, correct me. This is coming out on Disney Plus and theaters correct. together, right? You pay the thirty dollars on Disney Plus, or you go to the theaters. Yes. So it's going to make a ton of money, uh, people buying it at home or people going to the theaters. Uh, I'm surprised it's not just opening in theaters. It worries me a little bit that they're opening this for both venues, right? They did this with Mulan, and Mulan was not good. Um, And I think that's kind of why they didn't put Mulan just in theaters. Uh, Or they didn't save it just for theaters, if you will. They they put it on the platform. So um, I think this movie is going to make a ton of money. To be fair, they did it with Corella too, and Corella seems to be getting good reviews. You know what? That's a very fair point, but a very fair point. Um, I'm excited for Florence Pugh in this. I love Florence Pugh. Um, I think she's she's an uber talent. Uh, my question for you is because you are your Marvel connoisseur, uh, do I need to have watched all the new shows to be able to appreciate this movie or to be able to see this movie? Because I know it takes place between Civil War and Infinity War, um, but do I need to see the movies before? Do I need to see the TV shows before and before watching this? No. No, you're saying 100% confidence, no. No. I, you, the first two definitely do not tie into it. There'll be one thing you'll pick up on the second show, like, after the fact, but it's not major. Like, maybe a character show up that has, let's think was supposed to debut in this film. They debuted her in Falcon and Soldier instead. Okay. All right, well, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm Maybe. I don't know. This this movie confused me because I think I would enjoy it. It's an action movie, right? It's yeah. got beautiful people in the movie. It's got David Harbour for the comedic relief. Everything about this movie I should like. It's just every Marvel project now seems like homework just to stay up to date. Yeah. And I don't like the idea of movies being homework. Yeah. So I'm fighting my inner battle with the desire to go see a movie that I would probably like. Yeah. I think you'd probably like it. I think the problem also is do you think it's like also is that we are going back in time to a period that we last saw five years ago in the movie theater. Right. Which this is, movie theoretically means nothing yeah. to the entire story, which may be a reason I should go see it because in theory it means nothing because all the events that happened after it are are, null, are like are in stone, if you will. Get it? Infinity Stones. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm funny. Um, because like she's dead. So yeah. I, I should – I don't know. I'm conflicted about it. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I need to go to therapy about this, and I need to talk about my Marvel emotions. Yeah, your Marvel emotions. I know you. They, Endgame made them very complicated. Yes, they are. They're they're very very complicated. Get me the next Thor movie, or frankly, I'm excited for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse because I think that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
But I, again, I'm going to eventually watch everything. It's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like it being homework. Yeah, the way I say with the shows, and this is something I, I don't know about Loki, as I've seen the two episodes of Loki so far. But as far as the first two go, like, they are fun supplemental viewing. But to me, if you, like, for instance, with Wanda, who's in, like, Multiverse of Madness, you do not have to watch WandaVision to understand where she is going here. It adds to your experience, but you do not have to. You can you can pick up there. Same thing with yeah, Winter, Winter Soldier, too. It's like you see Steve, you see Sam get the shield at, like, at the end of Endgame. In the new Captain America 4, say now it's at the end of that series, he's got the shield. It's like, you don't yeah. need to see it. Like, if they made it so, like, it's basically an extra experience for you. I heard that WandaVision was much better than, than uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. That's accurate. That's what I've heard. That is accurate. So, and I've heard only good things about Loki thus far. Though I think Loki is the one that ties into the most of all the other Marvel movies and shows and that will have the most ramifications. So I will definitely need to watch that one before I see any new movies coming out, if you will, adding to the universe. The good news is Tom Hiddleston is delightful in, this, in, that, in that show. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I love Tom Hiddleston, and I think his banter with Owen Wilson, I've heard, is the best part of the show thus far and was the best part of the trailers. So, yeah. um, again, I, I if, of the three shows that have come out thus far, Loki is going to be the one I want to check out the most. Yeah, Loki. WandaVision, is, I would say, also is a good period piece. It's like they do a good job reflecting all those like sitcoms. They do like honor the sitcom eras, like going through 50s, 60s, 70s, and so on, like that. Like Falcon Winter Soldier, the problem with that one is basically it's like I think it's just a, a idea they felt was not good enough for a movie. And they started chopped up their what they had for a movie in six scripts. It doesn't flow. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I heard like the the first episode, like the the pilot for Falcon Winter Soldier, was not super great, no. but I heard it ended fairly well um, with. Yeah, with sad, a satisfactory but predictable ending. Pretty much. Is, is kind of the vibe I got. Okay. Let's move on from Black Widow here. We're going to want to know you're not super thrilled about, but they still going to make a bazillion dollars because LeBron's in it. Space Jam, A New Legacy. Mike, did you see the latest trailer for this movie? I have not. I have stayed away from the trailers. So the latest trailer for, movie, for this movie had me feeling two things. One, I think this movie looks bad. Uh, I, the comedy just was not funny. I don't need a grandma sipping a martini in, in a locker room saying at, in a halftime thing and LeBron pointing it out. It just wasn't funny. Um, it, it looks kind of cool. But also, after feeling angry that this movie wasn't good, the latest trailer also told me that this movie was not meant for me. It is meant for a younger generation. It is meant for the 10-year-olds and, and 8-year-olds of now. It is not meant to pay homage to the movie of the past. And I think this latest trailer made that most uh, most obvious. So I think it's going to anger people, but it's also, I think, kind of cathartic just to know, I don't need to worry about this movie paying homage to a movie that I enjoyed as a kid. I can try and enjoy this movie on its own merits. Yeah. Do I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot? No, I don't. But there's a chance that I'm going to be surprised. Um, LeBron James, for as much as he's annoying as a basketball player or as talented as a basketball player, he's, he's good on the screen. He knows how to have a presence. Um, I think the story is going to be incredibly cheesy and incredibly cliche, saving family, saving son, whatever it is. But I, I, I don't know. I, it's going to come out on HBO Max, so I'm going to see it because it's going to be free to me because I subscribe to HBO Max. Um, but I, my expectations for the movie are not incredibly high. But with, at the same time, I'm now excited to just watch it as a movie on its own. Yeah, I think the fun thing about that one also, I think I'm going to do that on the podcast with Sam DeRose, our pop culture correspondent, where that's in the calendar around here. I think the fun thing also with this movie is like, I like Don Cheadle being in it. I think he's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, Don Cheadle's, John Cheadle's good. Um, 
he just had a new he just had a trailer come out too for hbo max movie coming out and i'm going to be really upset because i can't remember the name of it off the top but he he's on a bit of a roll right now he's going to have a good summer so don Cheeto. i mean the only thing i know don Cheeto for recently is his is his roles in marvel so i mean yeah it's going to be in something new what is the new movie no sudden move is a new movie coming out on hbo max as well uh where he plays kind of a gangster thing it looks like a gangster comedy crime thing so Don Cheadle's on a bit of a hot streak right now with Space Jam and then No Sun Moves coming out. Yeah, I also have, I have that one in mind. I think the one that I have circled for the, that I will see the theater is Black Widow. Like, that's the one I'm planning to go to an actual theater for. The other ones, I'm probably doing the HBO Max, like Paramount Plus route, depending on, like, because, again, like, stuff's ex- – t- movie things are expensive. I'm sure they're probably getting more expensive coming off of COVID where they have to make the money back, so – yeah, I think I think probably F9 is the one for me uh, of, of the ones coming out soon, just because I think you can only see it in theaters, right? There's yeah. no option to view it anywhere else. Yes. Yeah, so I think besides A Quiet Place 2, which I am definitely going to see, uh, Fast Night is going to be the next one. The other one I have on the calendar, I think it's in August, the interesting to me is the James Gunn Suicide Squad. I'm intrigued to see what he does with that franchise. I thought this trailer was much better than I expected. Um, I thought John Cena was hilarious in this trailer. Speaking of me not understanding him in fat in F9, Fast Nine, this movie I think is great as a peacemaker. So this movie is going to be an absolute romp. I love the poster style that they went with with like the old school, the old school 70s style poster. I think this movie is going to be ridiculous. And whether or not it's all gonna work, I have no idea. But I am very, very excited for this movie. I trust James Gunn doing it because James Gunn is the right kind of person for this group of characters. Yes, he is, as long as he gets to have his own vision, which I think now, thanks to Zack Snyder and the Snyder Cut, uh, studios are going to be like, okay, maybe you could actually make a better movie than when we manipulate. So I, I am excited for it. The trailer did make me laugh. Um, it's, it's, I'm going to excited to see Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn because I think she's a very good Harley Quinn. Idris Elba's in this movie, so you get the silver fox there. It, I, I Very, very excited for this movie, much more so than I thought I would be when that first trailer came out. Yeah, I also think it's interesting is that you brought the idea that everybody has their own cuts. I talk about. I remember I saw on Twitter earlier this morning somebody was they're joking around that there's a secret cut of like I think Batman Forever that like is a darker cut of it that but was shot down by WB executives. They wanted more jokes, so everybody's saying release that cut. I'm like, yeah, the, the shoemaker, uh, the Schumacher cut or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, I color me uh, not too excited to see that possible cut. I I don't see much potential in that movie. No, I don't. I don't either. I just think it's funny that everybody has their own cut. Yeah, I do think it's something to keep in mind is I believe the Peacemaker has an HBO Max deal for a show. So John Cena is going to be an HBO HBO Max show. Yeah. um, Which is going to be interesting how it ties into this movie. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it takes place before or after if if that's even been made made public anywhere. Uh, But that's just something interesting to, to keep in mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll be fun to watch. Though I, I, I'm wondering, I think is at some point, guys, can we not try and make a director cut for every movie? I mean, like, what's next? We got the Super Mario Brothers director's cut. <laughs> I, the, the thing is, I mean, sometimes the director's cuts are good. Like Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is good. The extended uh, director's cut of Aliens is, is good. Um, some of them are not. Frankly, Zack Snyder's Justice League director's cut, much better than the original. So it, there's good and there's bad. It's just, I think Sylvester Stallone is doing like a director's cut of like Rocky, one of the Rocky movies. I'm not sure if it was Rocky Four, maybe or whatever. But like sometimes you're just meddling too much. As long as it's not Rocky Five, that movie cannot be redeemed in any form. No, that movie again needs to be burned. Needs to be burned forever and always. Yeah. 
I just I just wish they could have just like completely like retconned in Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa was good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I think the, the Rocky Balboa was a much different movie than Rocky Five. So yeah. they they tried to go a different different way, different approach. But that again, listen, bad movies are going to happen. Indiana Jones and Christian Skull happens. Like bad movies are going to happen. It's really hard to keep a franchise up at a high level for the entire time. Look at Star Wars. You had the perfect foundation to to have a franchise that would last for infinity and beyond, and they still managed to, to mess it up. Yeah, I have another good example of that for you. Superman What's 4. That? Superman 4, Quest for Peace. Uh, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I stopped after Superman 2. Yeah, Superman. Uh, the old ones. I did not I did not delve further. Superman 2 was good. General yeah. Zod and everyone like that, yeah. and the old Superman. Yeah. I did not I did not delve past the past two uh, on the Christopher Reeve Superman. Superman 4, I watched it recently again. It is straight trash. It is so bad. <laughs> like, it's like, it's so bad, it's not even entertaining. It's just, it's strictly on the bad category. It's really bad. Like, they are reusing special effects shots because they cut the budget significantly, then late in the process. It's only like a 90-minute movie compared to the rest for over two hours. The plot doesn't make sense. There are things that make no sense in the movie. It's really awful. Yeah, you just they had to make the money somehow. They had to they had to get some money somehow. So it killed Superman for like twenty years. Uh, it did, and to be fair, Superman Returns didn't really do much for it either. Yeah, uh, if I recall, that didn't really reinvigorate anything. Yeah. So it took Henry Cavill being a, a sexy stud uh, with Man of Steel to kind of bring it back from the shadows. Yeah, let's wrap this up here. What other movies that have piqued your interest this summer? Some of the ones you haven't talked about yet. Um, well, I think just one of note that a lot of people saw, uh, was the conjuring, the devil made me do it. Uh, I did watch this one on HBO max and it's by far the most disappointing in the conjuring franchise. The movie just wasn't good. I gave it a C minus, um, a lot of things that didn't work well with it for me. I won't dive into all of them now, but just it, it's a horror movie. And if you like horror movies, definitely turn it on just because you're comfortable with the characters and, and the genre, but it's just not a good movie on its own merits. But a lot of people saw that. Um, but speaking of another horror movie, actually trilogy that I'm really excited about is Fear Street, uh, which is coming out on Netflix starting July 2nd, uh, based off the R.L. Stein book series. Um, this series reminds me a little bit of the movie that came out, I believe it was two years ago, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is based off another kind of horror book. Um, and so I love the idea that this is going to be a trilogy going three straight weeks, uh, starting with the most present time of like 19, uh, I think it was 1994. And then the second movie is 1966. And then it goes to like 1666, I believe. Uh, and it's like three movies, different stories, but one continuous story is kind of the way the trailer made it seem. Have you heard of this movie? Am I, am I I, I've heard of this. Riddles to you? I've heard of this. I've seen, I've seen this thing on Netflix that they're talking about this three separate weeks for each movie. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for it because I'm curious to see what it'll be like. Is it going to be like Haunted of Hill House uh, where it's a horror thing on Netflix that really catches people's attention? I'm excited for it. Uh, you also give me a trilogy to look forward to. I'll, I'll buy into that. Um, but speaking of July 2nd, which is the first release date for the Fear Street, there's a movie coming out on Amazon Prime called The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. And I say this, Mike, this is going to be the most watched movie that Amazon Prime has ever put out strictly for its platform. But I think this movie looks like absolute trash. Um, oh boy! It might be what? Oh boy! Yeah. It, well, have you seen the trailer for this? Do you know? Do you know this movie? I know of this movie. I've seen part of the trailer. So, like, so uh, Chris Pratt goes into the future to help save the world. He hooks up with a with a woman general uh, who looks a lot like her his younger daughter of 
yesteryears before it gets sent back to the future. You wonder if there's going to be a connection there. It's, it looks like a more, it looks just like a more CGI version of the edge of tomorrow with less grit, uh, frankly, a worse screenplay. Uh, it, it doesn't look very good. Am I going to watch it? Yes. It's an action movie. Um, but I'm not, I don't, my, again, my expectations are not very high for it. So that one's coming out on Amazon Prime on July 2nd as well. Yeah, that's interesting stuff here. I think later these will be fun for you too, because I mean, Dune's going to be coming out later this year. I saw that they pulled off HBO Max. You have to go to the theater for it now. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I You have to see Dune in theater. I mean, Dune's <laughs> going to be massive. Del, yeah. Denny Villeneuve, I will see anything that he does. Um, and that cast is just outrageous. Uh, it puts like the cast of Knives Out to shame in terms of who's in that. So uh, but I'll, I'll just route through some other ones quick that I'm really excited for. The Green Knight, uh, an A24 movie coming out this summer, very excited for. The Beatles Get Back documentary. I'm a Beatles fan, grew up with the Beatles, excited for that. Excited for the remake of, uh, or actually the spiritual sequel. If you can't see me, I'm doing quotations. That's what it's described as. The spiritual sequel of Candyman, which is being penned, at least in part, uh, by Jordan Peele. Uh, and every horror movie that he's had his hand in has been great. So excited for that one. And then another one that got a lot of attention when the trailer was released is a uh, Remini scene. I believe is the name of it. It's the new, it's a crazy title, but it's the new uh, HBO max blockbuster that's coming out with Hugh Jackman and, and a really big cast. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson's in it as well. Uh, it looks a lot like inception. There is a very high science fiction budget to it. Do I think it's going to be great? Don't really know, but that's one to keep an eye on because it's going to get a lot of buzz. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun. And I'm sure we'll be back again in the future, do some, maybe even a fall movie for you because I thought the fall counter got loaded too because of all the backlog. Well, that's the thing. And this is the backlog. All the award movies and stuff are going to be coming out late fall and in early winter, which yeah. is what I'm most excited for. So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm very much excited for the fall. And I'll be, I don't know how much free time I'll have in the fall with all the football happening, but any, any train trip I have to New Jersey, Philadelphia, or to work is going to be spent watching movies. Absolutely. And also, for people who are not aware, don't follow John Stanger on Twitter. You watched uh, Brokeback Mountain on the train. That was not probably a wise choice. No, no. It's been on my watch list for a while, Mike. And uh, the movie, amazing movie. Just straight and A-plus, phenomenal. Heath Ledger in that movie is just ridiculous. Um, So, so, so good. Uh, But don't watch a really sad, depressing movie in a public place. Like that's that's my advice to you, uh, because I'm wiping away the tears in my eyes that are forming as that movie ends, and it's just like, oh my god. So, oof, a great movie though, but yeah, don't recommend watching a sad movie in a public place. Yeah, I would. I say also to you, do not watch Soul in a public place. You've not done that yet. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. You don't want to watch Soul in a public place either. Any Pixar movie, I guess you could say possibly, because there's seemingly always tears involved. Uh, so yeah, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. John, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you want to follow on social media, what's some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or any social media at jstanko99, uh, or you could uh, could read my writing at stankosstance.wordpress.com. Absolutely. And John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, man. All right, that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Brian Hogue, for coming on to talk all the New York Yankees and the great John Sanko for coming on to do a summer movie preview on the podcast. Remember good stuff like this podcast, including my look at which all-stars could be coming for the New York baseball teams, the Mets and the Yankees. Remember, the all-star game is less than a month away now. Who's going for the Mets? Who's going for the Yankees? We'll find out. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, 
Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rings as well. Help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube, individual conversations on the episodes, including the ones with John and Brian Oak. They're going to be on the YouTube page. Check them out there. Also follow me on Twitter at mphelps331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. That's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we are still starting to the focus here. Still leading that. Could be the Mets, could be the Nets, could be the Islanders. We're going to see. Sky Guys will be there. That will do our Season 6 Clone Wars recap and more. Until I help you out, Barrington Diamondbacks fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.